0: The United Soccer Coaches is proud to present the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster Dean Linky. That's right. The NSCAA is now the United Soccer Coaches. We aren't changing who we are, just what you call us. Start your free no-risk trial membership today. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org join today. We unite coaches at every level of the game around the passion of the game. Now, here's our host, Dean Linky.
1: I am Dean Linky and happy holidays to each and every one of our members of the United Soccer Coaches and happy holidays to all of the great staff at the United Soccer Coaches. I want to thank all of them under the direction of Lynn Berlin, manuel Kurt Austin, Ashley Goodrich, Sean Chevro, Ian Barker, Rob Kehoe, Jeff Van Dusen, Steve Veal, Pat Madden, everybody at the United Soccer Coaches, all fantastic. As you know, these shows leading right up to the 2018 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Philadelphia will be focused exclusively on the convention and today we'll do that in a little different matter the National Women's Soccer League enters its sixth season and once again the NWSL draft will be held at the 2018 United Soccer Coaches Convention so Amanda Duffy with the NWSL will kick off the show Alexi Lalas will be at the convention interacting with folks talking about the presidential race for U.S. soccer he'll be part of the draft coverage for Fox Sports for Major League Soccer, and so much more. Alexi Lalas will be on the program. Anson Dorrance, a regular on the podcast, will be inducted into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame on Friday night along with Bruce Serena. Anson is here and despite the fact that there'll be more than 10,000 people at the convention there'll be several hundred first time attendees. Jeff Van Dusen was on last week. Ralph Polson former president of the United Soccer Coaches, 35 years as a collegiate coach. He and Jeff Van Dusen on Wednesday night and Thursday morning have a great session for first time attendees on how to manage the enormity of the convention Ralph will wrap up the show it's another good one And it starts after this message from Team Snap.
0: Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more.
1: Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, our special convention editions leading right up to the 2018 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Philadelphia, that third week of January, where all things soccer will be covered. And that includes the NWSL, the National Women's Soccer League. You know, if you've listened to this program, I'm a big fan and proud to be the voice of the North Carolina Courage. And we're joined by the Managing Director of Operations for the NWSL, who reminded me she's also a North Carolinian. She's in North Carolina now for the holidays talking about Amanda Duffy. Amanda, thanks for being on the program.
2: Thanks for having me,
1: Dean. Obviously, Amanda, you will be front and center as always at the convention. That includes your draft. Tell us when and where the draft will be in Philadelphia, please.
2: So we'll be at the convention center, the Philadelphia Convention Center on Thursday, January 18th, 10 a.m. Eastern time is when we'll kick off the the 6th NWSL draft, which is pretty exciting to we'll be talking about the 6th, going into the 6th draft and 6th season of NWSL.
1: Yeah, amen. Six years now for the NWSL, and it looks like it continues to stabilize itself, which is so exciting. And one of the reasons why, I mean, the draft is always loaded because college soccer is so phenomenal. You played at East Carolina. You recognize that college soccer for women phenomenal right now.
2: It's certainly, it's a high level. It's a really high level. The women's game right now and college uh, continues to be the leading source and platform for players to uh, to come into the women's game. And we had some standouts, Ashley Hatchett, a courage player who uh, was part of last year's draft and had a, a, a big campaign in NWSL her rookie year. Uh, but we got some we have some big names and some exciting names that are coming out uh, and will be a part of this year's draft. And uh, as, we, as we see the players develop, as we see the talent continue to uh, just get better each year and, and know that uh, the college game continues to rise, it's exciting to, to kick off the year, um, both from a calendar standpoint and just uh, going into the season. Uh, it's exciting to have that draft and, and be in such a big uh, environment at the convention with so many of the supporters of, of the game uh, there to be a part of that event with us.
1: News in the off season, of course, similar to the year before with the Western New York Flash moving to Carolina. What a success they had as part of the North Carolina Courage, winning the Shield, making it the championship game. Kansas City, not so stable. They'll move to Real Salt Lake where the ownership group is behind them. So that's another solid move as part of that, quote, word, stabilization we're talking about, Amanda.
2: It is, and, and we saw, obviously, North Carolina Courage hit the ground running this year with uh, a team in place, a championship team in place coming into uh north carolina where there was the existing infrastructure of uh north carolina fc behind steve malik and kurt johnson and uh had a wonderful year and we certainly anticipate that the utah royals will will have a similar start with an existing team a very talented team that's going to be uh uh, starting off in utah uh, in 2018 and certainly have all the resources they'll be playing in rio Tinto stadium which is Uh, a beautiful stadium and certainly for NWSL is going to be state-of-the-art and one of the best. So we're excited about the the new ownership there and the group that has come together and and they're tremendously excited about being a part of NWSL right now, which uh, that energy is just flowing into the players as they're having those conversations and getting ready to to kick off this year.
1: How about the energy and support of U.S. soccer and then also Canada and Mexico as well, their federation's being a key part in this league?
2: It's important. It's critical to, to our success and where we are today. And uh, it's, a, it's a different model than WUSA and WPS had with, with the support of the federations behind the league. And, uh, you know, it helps us just from uh, the stability factor of it, but also uh, just uh, helping us uh, grow and, and help into those decisions and help with that uh, with the national team players and that relationship continues to be, uh, very strong and having their support of the national team players playing in NWSL. Uh, so there's, there's different facets, but it, it certainly, it's a, it's a model that is proving itself as we do go into the sixth season, uh, the longest running women's professional league that's, that's operated in the United States. So it's proven to be a key piece and, uh, a, a relationship and partnership that, uh, I value and think is going to continue to, help us grow into uh, many years ahead
1: here in the voice of Amanda Duffy the managing director of operations for the National Women's Soccer League again they'll be center stage on Thursday morning at the United Soccer Coaches Convention in Philadelphia and here's the deal if you were there last year at the convention you had to be blown away by the amount of people the media attention at the draft it was off the charts for NWSL I expect more of the same this year in Philly
2: it, it was big, and for the for, for the convention to be in LA for the first time last year, and of course the draft out on the West Coast for the first time, uh, it certainly had that big feeling. And with us coming back to the East Coast and to Philadelphia, where uh, there's always been a high level of attendance at the convention, and of course the support for the league is is growing, and uh, for the draft, I think it will continue to grow. So I'm expecting uh, an even bigger, better year this year, and. Uh, you're right, it was it had the big feeling last year, and we, we certainly hope to do one better again this uh, in 2018.
1: Amanda, you've heard the comments from Jill Ellis, how important this league has been to the U.S. national team, and you had a first, uh, I mean, the best seat in the house, actually, watching how the NWSL helped the U.S. women's national team. I feel like last year, more than any other year, the U.S. women's national team stars and the future stars really stepped up during league play.
2: It was fun to to watch that and it is this, this league is uh proving to be invaluable in allowing giving the players the platform to come in in the next level environment and compete day in and day out uh with the best players not just here in the United States or North America but around the world. And I and I uh would argue with anyone who says that uh if we don't if that might think that we don't have the most talented and competitive league top to bottom uh it compared to NWSL. So Every game matters. Every game is important, and every game is an opportunity for every player in this league to to get better and compete with the top players. So it's uh, we've seen the the level continue to rise, and the parity, of course, is is there across the league, and it does put the players in position to continue to grow. and, and I think is is proving itself with the national team and uh, giving Jill and, and the national team staff an opportunity to look at uh, these top players and. Uh, across the across the league and and find that talent that's going to fit uh, and give the national team the best opportunity for success.
1: A couple more questions with Amanda Duffy, the managing director of operations for the National Women's Soccer League. Kind enough to join us here for our United Soccer Coaches Convention podcast. And you talk about the players, the coaches are getting better and better in this league. Of course, you know, Paul Riley in North Carolina, back to back as well. And he's actually from Philadelphia, so he'll be right at home. Uh, I guess he's from Philadelphia by way of England, of course, but he'll be right at home there. And the great thing is after the draft, they can join in, right? And he'll be doing a session. They can also participate in some of the, the clinics and even grow more at the convention.
2: That's right. We, we have some of the best coaches, uh, in the country and of course around the world here in, in, WSL. And, uh, you know, we have a group that, that, uh, has been committed to the league and committed to the women's game. And, uh, you know, right now with, uh, as we are today, we have three female head coaches in the league, which is the first to have that, that many at one time, which is exciting and, um, and, and certainly gonna, help the growth of of the players and the league in in a direction we want to go. But, uh, you know, there's some really talented coaches that uh, have been successful at many levels uh, from youth up to uh, international level. So we're excited about that and happy that our players have the ability to learn and develop under their guidance in, in NWSL.
1: That's so well said. Laura Harvey, one of those three female coaches, she'll be featured on next week's United Soccer Coaches Convention Podcast. Finally, Amanda, as a a former player in high school, someone that grew up actually rooting for the original Carolina Courage that played in Chapel Hill and at SAS Stadium, went on to East Carolina to play, then you were with the Wings and Hampton Roads, even played overseas just a little bit, I believe. When you think about uh, two things as part of this league, the development, and we already covered it, of the – U.S. national team, right, and what that means, but then also probably just as important, and maybe you'll even say more important, the ability to have great role models because you experienced it for all these young girls playing soccer today.
2: It's 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 fantastic to be a part of that and to be in a leadership position right now within WSL, but certainly do understand the value and
0: and impact
2: of it, and uh, really and just as important too, just. The opportunity for, for women to continue playing after, uh, the college level and stay here in the United States and play in environments that are, are teaching them and showing them what that professional environment really looks like. And having been a part of uh, the game, both on the men's side and the women's side, to see some of the fan development happening on, on the women's side of the game and, um, the maturity that's happening. In the evolution of the women's side of the game is exciting to see, exciting to be a part of, uh, and to have all of that as these females and these women continue to grow and evolve also as professional athletes and understand the importance and value of being a role model to uh, young girls and younger, younger players that are uh, looking up to them. It's great to, to have that opportunity and ability to, um, to pos- position them uh, how they are right now in, the, in, in NWSL.
1: Great interview. If people want to learn more about the National Women's Soccer League and their sixth season, where can they go, Amanda?
2: In com, And uh, we look forward to seeing everyone at the draft uh, just less than a month from now.
1: It's going to be here before you know it. Amanda Duffy, the Managing Director of Operations for the NWSL. Amanda, thanks for being with us this holiday season and wishing you a happy and successful 2018.
2: Thanks so much, Dean.
1: Okay, the NWSL Draft will take place at the 2018 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Philadelphia. So will the Major League Soccer Draft. For more on the latest with U.S. soccer and Major League Soccer, the great redhead Alexi Lalas, superstar for the USA joins me next. This is the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. It's our special United Soccer Coaches convention editions leading right up to the convention in Philadelphia. And I want to thank Amanda Duffy from the NWSL. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about U.S. soccer, the presidential race, which will take center stage at the convention, Major League Soccer, which will have their draft as well as the convention. And to do that, big-time personality, almost 100 caps for the USA, an analyst for Fox sports, and one of the go-to guys when you want an opinion on the status of soccer in this country, talking about the big redhead, Alexi Lalas, who joins me now.
3: Mr. Joinke, how are you? <laughs> a, a Happy or uh, Merry Christmas uh, to all of you out there that uh, do celebrate, and uh, happy holidays as we finish up what uh, I think everybody recognizes has been... A very interesting on and off the field uh, a year of soccer <laughs> 2017. Amazing, amazing. How you doing?
1: I'm doing great. I, you know, that's a great uh, lead in to why we want to spend the next, you know, 14 minutes with you, Alexi, talking about this past year and then really talking about what's going to take place at the convention in Philadelphia, where everybody that's running for U.S. soccer is going to have a forum and the election to follow after that. Uh, as we're here with Alexi Lawless, 96 caps, nine goals. All right, Alexi, let's start with this uh, race for president of U.S. soccer and first off just give us your general overall thought of the fact of Sunil stepping down and new leadership coming in.
3: Well I think it opens up uh, the uh, space for uh, not just new people but I think some new ideas and that in itself I think is going to be um, a positive. Uh, You know I mean look this is this is something that for a number of elections nobody really cared about and that fateful day when the U.S. Uh, failed to even get a point against Trinidad and Tobago, I mean, look, there are a lot of people that recognize the opportunity. They recognize that Sunil was vulnerable, and that obviously came to fruition with him deciding not to run. Um, and he also, I think they also recognize that there was uh, an opportunity for someone new to come in and be the president of U.S. soccer, the likes of which, hadn't existed before. Um, and look, I, I don't blame them for being opportunistic and recognizing that that opportunity was there and taking it. And there's a reason why we have so many candidate, candidates right now, and very, very different types of candidates in terms of their background. Obviously, some have bigger names than others. Some have been involved in soccer in traditional ways, some non-traditional ways. But for me, this is fascinating. I'll tell you what, I don't know about you. And I know we get in the weeds sometimes when it comes to this, but for me to have all this attention and this interest in a presidential race for the United States Soccer Federation, I think ultimately it's a good thing. And while I don't agree necessarily with everybody all the time when it comes to these candidates, I have, I have uh, absolute um, uh, respect for all of them for putting themselves out there, for being part of this process. And it's easy from my position to you know, take shots and to, and to <laughs> call them out. But I think the reality is that we are going to get somebody in there that's going to have their, heat, their feet held to the fire and it's going to have to perform, but also somebody that maybe is going to bring some a different way of doing things and looking at things. And I think ultimately that's a good thing.
1: It's great that you mentioned it gives you a platform to take some shots because now you have a bigger platform because Eric Wilnalda had to step aside. Kyle Martino had to step aside over at NBC. <laughs> so now even a, a bigger platform. Start with those two folks uh, and their chances. I mean, you know Eric as well as anybody, perhaps... Uh, better than you want to. Talk about, uh, first, Eric Winalda.
3: Well, well, first off, just so everybody understands, um, you know, when we react to these candidates and things that they say and that they do through this campaign, keep in mind that it's unlike the presidential election or many, many other elections, I don't have a vote. Um, I don't know if you do, but I certainly don't. And <laughs> The majority of people don't have a vote. So it's very different what they are trying to do when they are doing stuff for, let's say, my benefit as opposed to a voter's benefit. Uh, having said all that, you know Eric Winold, I think, has taken this uh, this populist route, and I think it's serving him well. I think he has positioned himself as the outsider outsider, and I actually think, from a, from Eric's perspective, he wins either way. Even if he doesn't win, I think he becomes this um, this martyr and this patron saint for a lot of people that feel disenfranchised, for a lot of people that feel that there is uh, just a systematic type of ineptitude and or Corruption out there, and I'm not saying whether there is or not, but there are a lot of people that feel that there has just been a, a lack of organization and a lack of directions and mismanagement when it comes to the United States Soccer Federation, whether it's with the national teams, whether it's with development, whether it's with grassroots, whatever it ends up being. And I think that they look to Eric as somebody who's come in, and Eric is very, very good at, at recognizing it, coming in and saying, I'm going to do things differently in the way that I think, in the way that I say things. Um, you know, it's not going to please everybody, but I think Eric's done a really good job of carving that, uh, that, that position out for himself. And even if he doesn't win, like I said, I still think he'll be looked on as one of those people that, that, that a lot of folks out there that are disenfranchised can look to.
1: And what about Kyle Martino?
3: Uh, You know, look, I've known Kyle for a long time. I played against him. I I, uh, I traded for him actually when I was with the Galaxy. Uh, I brought him in. This is a smart guy. Uh, And look, a lot of us on on television, um, you know, have the benefit of being in front of a camera and having to talk consistently. And I think whether it's Eric or whether it's Kyle, uh, I think they've used that to their advantage. And I think Kyle has come out with some really interesting things. And I think if I'm not mistaken, he's going to come out uh, in the next couple of weeks with a full platform. And at that point, I think you'll, be really, you'll really be able to judge what Kyle is, what Kyle isn't. He's much more of a, of a centrist, if you will, in, in, in the way that he's approaching, at least the way that I see that he's approaching. But all of these guys, whether it's Kyle, Eric, or, or, or any of the candidates, Ultimately, you got to hit the ground and you got to hit the ground running and you got to pick up that phone, you got to get in front of people and you have to convince them just because you have good hair, just because you've been on television, just because you're a famous (laughs) face or a famous name doesn't mean you know what the hell you're doing. If you have to convince these people that you are worth their vote, and that's that's not something necessarily that happens in front of a camera. That happens in rooms. That happens in houses. That happens in hotels. That happens in all different places where you've got to show people that you are the right person for them to vote for that is going to do the things for them and for the sport going forward.
1: They do have pretty good hair. Hope Solo's got pretty good hair as well, but what is she doing in this race?
3: I have no idea because we haven't heard from Hope Solo. I mean, she came out with the platform, and the way that I read it—and I, I could be wrong—but the way that I read it, her platform was based upon her experience as a kid and the inability for her to uh, play at an elite level at times because of the barrier of um, of price. And look, that's that's evergreen stuff. You know, saying saying we want uh, you know we don't want pay to play—that's that's all great. But how are you going to do it? Because not having pay to play actually costs money. So who's going to pay for this? So whether it's hope or any, anybody else, it's all fine and well to have things that look good on a t-shirt or things that look good in a sound bite or things that look good on a bumper sticker. But ultimately, just like anything in politics, it's easy to say those things and, and you get people to salivate to a certain extent. But then when you're, you're asked the follow-up question, well, how are you going to actually do that? That's where it gets dicey. But for me, that's where it gets interesting. Because if there are people out there with legitimate answers, and, and I still don't know how hopes hope to accomplish some of the stuff that she's talk of, that she's talk about, and it's very very minimal right now in terms of what her platform is, uh, and she's just not, despite her, her her name, which I think garners a lot of attention, she's still not out there the way that I can see, uh, and and she's coming to the race kind of late in the game, and you gotta you gotta be out there, and you gotta be able to travel around. Uh, and you're going to have to affiliate with people, and at times that affiliation is going to have to be public, and you're going to have to stand by those affiliations. And look, it's it's just like anything in politics. It's uh, At times it can get down and dirty, and you better have a real thick skin.
1: You're hearing the wisdom of Alexi Lalas, U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer, big-time analyst for Fox Sports. Uh, but we're not going to go through all eight names, but right now, all of a sudden, Kathy Carter has jumped to the lead. Her odds, two and a half to one, according to a recent article from USA Today. Why is she the odds-on favorite to win?
3: Well, she's the ultimate insider, if you will, and, and I think there's a lot of, whether it's fair or not or, or true or not, a lot of people... Uh, associate her with Sunil Gulati and that he would be uh, the one that would be supporting it. And look, the uh, information from Grant Wall coming out over the last week uh, about, the, you know, the, the association uh, and the connection between Don Garber uh, and Sunil Gulati and Kathy Carter, which should be no surprise to anybody. Uh, and Kathy Carter's position as president of some Soccer United marketing, which we know has long links and continued links with the United States Soccer Federation and then obviously be having a, a, a huge part in that motor, if you will, of what uh, MLS is. So there's a, there's a lot of people that, that know each other, a lot of people that have worked to, to each other, but I think being that insider at times will benefit her in terms of the people that she knows and the people that she can get in front of. But I also, I've known Kathy for a long time, too, and, and she's a very, very smart woman. I think she's in it for the right reasons. I think her biggest challenge is... Uh, using the association with traditional folks, whether it's a Don Garber or the Neil or for association with some to her advantage when it's important, but also at times distancing herself and creating a barrier so that there is not that Um, that perception of a conflict of interest. And that is not going to be an easy balance for her to do, but that's really where I think where her challenge lies.
1: Switch gears to Major League Soccer. The draft will be at the 2018 United Soccer Coaches Convention. That means you will be there as well as part of your coverage with Fox. And you think about uh, Major League Soccer, Nashville was just announced. Of course, North Carolina FC on the outside looking in. What's your take right now on expansion for MLS?
3: Nashville did. Uh, Nashville very, very quickly, with a combination of timing, uh, incredibly uh, committed, deep-pocketed local ownership and outside ownership, obviously the stadium situation, the support from, uh, f- support from the community, all of those things combined made it, made it a slam dunk. So much so that when they were going to announce two, they elected to only announce one. Nashville was the only one they, they were going to announce. Now they're going to announce another one between the three of the finalists of Detroit. Uh, Sacramento uh, right now in Cincinnati, but when you're looking at soccer hotbeds, obviously that area is a soccer hotbed, has been for a number of years, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's right uh, for an MLS team. But look, Dana, let's, let's be honest, ultimately, if there are communities that support the game, and if there are communities that have deep-pocketed ownership, and this is a billionaire's club right now, this isn't a $100 million uh, uh, ownership type of situation in MLS, you got billionaires out there? If you have a, a, a community that supports soccer and you can get yourself a stadium situation, look, you're, you're going to ultimately get an MLS team. I think there's, that's just the way that it's going. But they're, uh, they're, they're a smart business to vie teams off of each other right now going forward. But I wouldn't hold your breath right, right now, regardless of that, area, in regards to that area.
1: Lexi Lalas grew up just outside of Detroit, Birmingham, by the way, very well-to-do, went to a very nice school, was uh, a two-sport player at Rutgers, and he's got very intelligent parents. Don't let him fool you as well, part of the reason why he's so eloquent every time you hear him talk. And, Lexi, you've been very open about the fact that soccer's opened so many doors for you, took you over to Italy, Major League Soccer TV. As you reflect on it, what might be the greatest moment for you? And with that, what might be the coolest person you've met? Maybe nothing to do with soccer or sports at all.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I tell everybody that asked me the, the, that question that the summer of 1994 changed, changed me forever. One of the reasons why I'm talking to you today is because of that summer of 94. I live the power of what a World Cup can do to an individual. It's one of the reasons why I'm also so excited about uh, the possibility of 2026 coming back into the United States with the joint bid um, with, uh, with Mexico and Canada because I want what I experienced in that summer to happen to a young American player now maybe that young American player we already know him whether it's a Christian Pulisic or somebody like or maybe it's a player that we haven't even discovered yet uh, and just hits that moment and it was it was great timing I was as you as you mentioned I was incredibly fortunate uh, to grow up in a household uh, that encouraged me to play sports that encouraged me to play soccer although my dad was a professor and my mom was a writer so sports was not something that they necessarily understood but they recognized that I was good at it it kept me out of trouble uh, and, I, and they certainly supported it, but I was not in uh, a household where it was 100% uh, sports, believe me. Uh, the homework was done well before anything else. But, uh, you know, when I look at, at, at the greatest moments of my, of my soccer career, I mean, look, it has to be, like, as I said, 1994, the World Cup. Was just so wonderful. I, it opened up so many opportunities for me, on and off the field. I milked it for all it was worth. I Had a blast doing it. I burned both ends. I don't regret a minute of it. I met all sorts of incredible people. Um, you know, a lot of. Uh, you know, I'm a big. Uh, I got heavily into music, and I still play music. So anytime I was a- I was able to meet uh, guys that I grew up watching uh, and, and girls that I grew up watching, and, and uh, it, that was that was always for me the coolest part of any type of notoriety or any type of fame that came. You're able to meet, from from my perspective, uh, musician.
1: All right, Alexi, I saw you on the Stuart Holden uh, uh, game that uh, was raising money for Houston. You, a couple sliding tackles there. Looks like uh, you still got it, my man.
3: Uh, yeah, so you know, I uh, at some point, if you can't catch him, then you gotta uh, just you gotta have to take him down. And there was, <laughs> because And Stu invited me in, and look, it's, it's a wonderful city, and if Stuart Holden tells you to do something, you do it. I got so much respect for all the work that he did down there and uh, you know for his for his community, but once I got on the ground, I looked around and I said, "Stu, uh, I could be mistaken here, but I think I am the only defender of the butt." <laughs> and uh, I looked around and you got you know Dwayne De Rosario, obviously Stuart Holden. We're speaking of Kyle Martino down there. All of these uh, you know skill merchants. That all they care about is scoring goals, and that's so basically any all-star game or any type of celebrity game, it's always going to be crap for the defenders. Right. Like, that's just the way that it works out. But when you have absolutely no other defenders, it was a long night for me. Let me tell you <laughs> that. But I, I like to think that I just took it for the cost.
1: Uh, you did great, Alexi Lalas. Always so much fun to talk to you. We'll see you in Philadelphia for the convention. Thanks for all you do for the game, and uh, happy holidays, happy new year, Alexi.
3: Thanks. Yeah, it's the same to you and to all the listeners out there and that, whole, uh, that American soccer uh, audience out there. Uh, good things on and off the field for 2018.
1: Good things indeed, Alexi Lalas. Another thing that will happen at the 2018 United Soccer Coaches Convention will be the awards and the awards banquet and two more inductions into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame. Bruce Arena will be in and so will Anson Dorrance. Anson Dorrance joins me next. The NSCAA is now United Soccer Coaches. We help you develop into better coaches so you can develop better players. We aren't changing who we are, just what you call us. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join today. I'll tell you what, for my mind, the greatest college coach of all time, any sport, any sport, men or women, is Anson Dorrance. Why? Well, 22 national championships since taking over the women's program in the late 70s. That's right, 22 national championships. I remember Dean Smith used to call John Wooden the Anson Dorrance of college basketball. And Anson Dorrance from New York City, by the way. Happy holidays, Coach. Well, thanks, Dean. Uh, how are you guys doing down there? Enjoying the holidays. It's going to get cold at the end of the week. I'm not sure when you're headed back, but I know you're up there seeing your super talented daughter who is uh, just, just amazing and Anson, congratulations. Another honor for you. You're going to be inducted into the United Soccer Coaches, formerly NSCAA Hall of Fame, in January. I'll be up there uh, as part of the introductions. That'll be exciting. Anson, congratulations.
4: Well, thanks, Dean. I, I do appreciate that. I'm looking forward to getting up there, but also, what a great organization. I've served them. Uh my entire adult life in the game, and it's an honor to be honored by them.
1: So, Anson, 22 national championships, uh, and you rattled them off uh, through the 80s where nobody could even beat you, let alone knock you off in the national championship game. It's getting tougher now, right? Uh, The parity in in college soccer for women is simply amazing. But you think back about those 22 titles, I'll tell you, it's pretty special, Coach.
4: Well, I appreciate that, Dean. You're right. It is getting a lot tougher. Uh, The coaches out there are doing a better and better job at all levels. Uh, The youth coaches sending uh, all of us at a collegiate level some talented kids. There's not a team in the top 100 that don't have two or three kids in their starting lineup I'd love to have. And that certainly wasn't the case uh, 15, 20 years ago. So the talent uh, across the country in the colleges has improved, but also the coaching commitment uh, and the commitment of the universities has gotten a lot better. And so the game is a heck of a lot uh, more difficult to dominate now. So... uh, uh, we are running into that, but obviously challenged by it, so I have no issue with where our game is going.
1: Anson Dorrance also, by the way, the head coach of the U.S. women's national team that won the first ever World Cup in 1991 in China. As I was first introduced to Anson when I was with U.S. soccer in the late 80s, early 90s, and they went on to win that World Cup with some of the legends of the game. You know, April Heinrichs, Michelle Akers, Mia Hamm, Julie Fowdy, Shannon Higgins. Uh, what a team, right? That team was uh, as good as it gets.
4: Well, they were. They were a fabulous team, and... Uh, And now they're sort of referred to as the 91ers because, of course, that was the year, 1991, when we won that championship in Guangzhou, China. And now what's really cool for me is to look at the alumni of that group uh, are scattered across the uh, soccer spectrum, all still uh, participating in various leadership functions uh, in the game. And I'm very, very proud to have been a a part of that uh, championship run in 1991
1: you hearing the voice of Anson Dorrance. Anson, you heard me uh, with that tease about uh, how Dean Smith you know, called uh, John Wooden the Anson Dorrance of college basketball. But you were able to interact with Dean Smith, and he let you come into practice. I think Roy Williams does the same, and you've written some books talking about Pete Carroll. Talk about the coaches that have made a difference in all of your success.
4: Well, yeah, I think we certainly have to start uh, probably with uh, Marvin Allen, the gentleman I played for at UNC, and he was a a part-time soccer coach, a full-time instructor in our physical education department at the university, and the only reason I got the job at UNC, honestly, was because of him. Uh, He saw something in me I never really saw, and uh, Bill Kobe was our athletic director at the time, and uh, Marvin Allen went in to uh, speak with Kobe about having me replace Marvin when Marvin stepped back and retired, and uh, there's no way I would have been considered that position at UNC without his support. Um, in fact, I joke with my colleagues all the time that uh, I've asked about you know, how I ended up uh, in a wonderful position like I did at UNC, and I went from coaching a co-educational rec league in, in Chapel Hill called the Rainbow Soccer Program to the top of Division One without any sort of interim stops as a coach. And so obviously I was extraordinarily lucky to have people like Marvin Allen support me And I got into that job with no history, uh, and I've I've loved it. And of course, at first I was just the men's coach at UNC, and then uh, when they were making my position full time, Bill Kobe asked me to coach two uh, teams—a fledgling women's club uh, that was an excellent and well-organized club—was petitioning for varsity status, and so he asked me if uh, I wouldn't mind coaching both, and he'd make my position full time. I was a law student at the time, and. And I told him, sure, I'd love to, you know, try to coach both while I was finishing my law degree, and and then of course uh, finishing the law degree became impossible with the two teams. And I was, I was thinking my wife was gonna, you know, get rid of me. She thought it was, she was gonna marry this, you know, successful attorney, and now she was gonna be stuck with a soccer <laughs> coach. So I went home and said, honey, you know, uh, something's got to go. I was getting four to six hours sleep at night, and it just wasn't working. And she knew that I was gonna drop, and I, I dropped out of law school and. And, of course, I have loved every day of my coaching uh, life and coached both teams, actually, men and women, for 10 years. And then since uh, 1989, just the women. And, of course, in that stretch, as you pointed out, Dean, uh, I had a shot at coaching the U.S. Women's National Team as a part-time national coach and absolutely loved that. And when I was hired, we had never won a game in international competition. And then uh, five years later, we were uh, the first world champions and that was fun. And those 91ers you referred to, yeah, the uh, the April Heinrichs and the Karen Jennings, the Michelle Akers, the Hams, the Christine Lillies, the you know Julie Foudys and that whole collection of, of fabulous players um, were just so much fun to coach and. And for me, that was just an incredible time in my life that I thoroughly
1: enjoyed. Of course, that 91 team, there was no pro league. And then the 99 team, they were like, man, they got to get a pro league going. So they did uh, two years after that as well. And uh, we were, you and I were partnered together, calling the North Carolina Courage, or the Carolina Courage, as they were called initially, first in Chapel Hill and then at SAS Stadium, now Wake Met Soccer Park. So great, right? To have pro soccer not only in this country, but right down the road from Chapel Hill.
4: Well, it really is and I really respect and admire uh, Steve Malick for what he's done with uh, uh, bringing uh, the Carolina Courage back to our community. Uh, not only was his team fantastic, but uh, the coach uh, that he brought in when he brought the team in is also a fantastic man, uh, and he's really enhanced all kinds of things, including a member of my staff. He uh, brought uh, Bill Palladino on to serve as one of his assistants, and honestly, we're stealing stuff from uh, uh, Paul Riley, the coach of the – North Carolina Courage on a regular basis through uh, Bill Palladino. And to have a a coach of that caliber and a team of that caliber right next door for us is a wonderful privilege, and I've loved having uh, uh, that team nearby.
1: Anson Dorrance, yet another Hall of Fame. He's already, of course, a member of U.S. Soccer's National Soccer Hall of Fame. He's already won the Honor Award. He's won U.S. Soccer's Highest Honor, the Werner Fricker Builder Award. And boy, has he built women's soccer into an absolute powerhouse and now he's going to be inducted into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame. And uh, Anson, I know that uh, you're going to bring a few more natties home to Chapel Hill before you're done. And last thing, you're going to get to do it now now in a brand new stadium. They're turning it upside down there in Chapel Hill.
4: Well, they are, and uh, I really uh, appreciated uh, all the different athletic directors I've had that have supported uh, uh, me completely and fully uh, in my tenure at UNC, and all these different uh, uh, men have been uh, wonderful uh, towards me and my program. And uh, we had to be patient. Uh, Our uh, stadium is basically uh, uh, surrounded by a track And um, I was, um, you know, a loyal uh, uh, member of the uh, Tar Heel Coaching Fraternity and and never wanted to sort of, uh, you know, push out a a track uh, uh, because uh, Dennis Craddock, our track coach, uh, this would have devastated him. But in the transition period after uh, Dennis Craddock, our track coach, retired and uh, UNC hiring a new track coach, I went in and, and chatted with our athletic director to see if we could, you know, possibly let the new guy know that, you know, that we're going to build a soccer stadium here. And uh, I think we, you know, we're very patient and waiting. Uh, and now uh, we've got this uh, new stadium coming up. Uh, we'll be online uh, this coming fall in uh, 2018. Uh, track has been relocated to Finley where our practice complex is next to our golf course. And this is going to be just a state-of-the-art facility. It's going to have... Uh, seats on three sides of the field with an open end zone for us to, you know, entertain uh, different groups. Hopefully a lot of the alumni and uh, our VIPs, uh, they're leading up the McCaskill Soccer Center. It's going to become a Hall of Fame in that corner. And every aspect of the design of this thing is absolutely fantastic. Uh, we're certainly using that in recruiting right now. And we think uh, the future of uh, all the teams in that stadium, because it's not just us. It's also the men's soccer team and men and women's lacrosse. We're going to have a wonderful home. It's going to be backdropped by this brand-new indoor football facility. And so it's just going to be an amazing complex for all of us to enjoy. And I'm certainly looking forward to the opening of this facility in August of
1: 2018. Well said. Anson Dorrance, 22-time national champion for the UNC women's soccer team and World Cup champion for the USA women in 91 and going into yet another Hall of Fame. Coach, happy New Year to you. We'll see you around Chapel Hill. Thanks, Dean. Thanks, Anson. Another great visit here on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by TeamSAP. Finally, there will be hundreds of first-time attendees in Philadelphia at the convention. Jeff Van Dusen, the director of operations and events for the United Soccer Coaches, a great guest last week. And Ralph Polson, a former president of the United Soccer Coaches, 35 years in the collegiate game as a coach, last 10 as the top man for Wofford and a former president of the United Soccer Coaches. Jeff? and Ralph on Wednesday night and Thursday morning we have a great session for first time attendees on how to manage the enormity of the convention you'll like Ralph's visit to wrap up the show when we come back
0: Managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job. With Team Snap, it doesn't have to. They help their customers save time and sanity on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to Teamsnap.com slash NSCAA1.
1: Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, this special convention. We'll do one of these right through the Wednesday of the convention up in Philadelphia. I want to thank Amanda Duffy and uh, all of our great guests, Alexi Lalas. And also joining us is Ralph Polson, former president of the United Soccer Coaches and a man who knows all about the qualities of attending a United Soccer Coaches Convention. In fact, he breaks it down with Jeff Van Dusen, who was on the program last week. They've got the first-time attendee experience. You can be there Wednesday, 445 to 6 in CC Room 201 ABC, and then also they'll do it again thursday morning if you get in there late that'll be from seven forty-five to 9 same room ralph polson 35 years now coaching college soccer wrapped up his 10th season with the wofford terriers ralph thanks again for being with us
5: dean thanks for the uh for the invitation excited to be uh be on the show and, and uh and talk about the uh united soccer coaches uh convention
1: well, we're going to get right to it, but before we do, I think we've got to mention the fact that your Wofford Terriers came into the Dean Dome and knocked off the defending national champion Roy Williams team. What's that all about?
5: Oh gosh, I tell you, it was uh, it was it was one of those games. I was actually driving back from Charlotte. My son had flown back in from Barcelona. He'd been studying abroad and uh, my daughter was with me, and they had pulled up the game on, the, on, uh, on my iPhone and, and were watching it, and I was trying to sneak a peek as we were driving back, but it was so exciting in the car. I can only imagine what it was like to be there. Unfortunately, our campus was empty. The kids had left uh, the, the previous week, so the campus was empty, but I can only imagine had that happened while the students were still in the campus would have been absolutely crazy. <laughs> uh, as, you, as you know, social media was blown up with, uh, with that result. Doesn't it surprise me a uh, tremendous coach, uh, Mike Young, done an amazing job and uh, a great leader and, and uh, a great example for the rest of the coaches at Wofford College.
1: Yeah, I tell you what—that's why you roll the ball out there, right? And uh, play it uh, at any sport. Well, we're going to roll the ball out there yet again here as part of the convention, and there'll be ten thousand plus coaches there, and uh, that number will continue to grow because of first-time attendees. That let's make no mistake about it—they will be blown away, right, about attending a convention, which I think is a a great way to kind of get their feet grounded by attending your session on uh, Wednesday night or Thursday morning. First-time attendee experience. Talk about what they're walking into here Ralph
5: well let me let me start with this I attended my first convention in 1984 I joined the association in, in 1983 first convention happened to be in Philadelphia uh, in 1984 uh, everything was confined to one hotel uh, the demos were done in the ballrooms uh, and, and so it was, you know it was it was one place one location for everything uh, And and even then I was I was I was blown away. I mean that the uh, you know you had uh, a lot of the uh, uh, the booths were set up in the hallways uh, with with the different companies and and uh, so it was real simple then. As you said, over ten thousand people that will attend, over sixty three hundred coaches that attended last year, and 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 so it's just it it really can be uh, one of those very intimidating. And so what this this idea it was a brainstorm of, of mine and Jeff's uh, years ago. Really, it was something he said, hey, what do you think of this? Jeff and I talked about it. I said, listen, it's a great idea. Uh, when I served as vice president, I was vice president for convention and awards. So the convention's always been a big deal to me. Um, so that's what we, we did. We put together and, and basically we try to outline what the convention's all about uh, from, from the diplomas that are offered uh during during the during the convention uh the different uh, organizations that meet the different committees that meet uh you know trying to schedule the uh the, the, the different uh the sessions that take place the the clinics uh, uh the field sessions as well as some of the other uh, lecture topics and uh just trying to s- steer them and give them a way to get through this without being intimidated and and try to make the best of this experience while they're there um, because it is it it can be very intimidating with everything that's going on
0: because
1: one of the things you got to do right you got to manage your time effectively to be able to soak everything in right Ralph
5: Oh no question uh, to to get through as you look through the way the convention schedule is set up and, and and my hats off to Jeff Van Dusen and, the, and his staff and the work they've done to create this the, the schedule um, um, to um, for to outline for the level that, that you're coaching at to, and to be able to get to the clinics and the topics and the lectures that that relate to your level of, of, of coaching. And, and so I think that's a big deal. One of the things that we suggest doing is downloading the uh, the mobile app, um, and, uh, the Philadelphia 18, the United Soccer Coaches Philadelphia 18 mobile app, uh, because you can you can set up your schedule. And uh, it'll send you reminders. Uh, it'll give you the, 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 the meeting rooms or, the, or the, uh, the, where the field sessions are. Um, and, and so I think that's a, that's a big deal. But to come in and just, you know, we, we, we talk through it. We look at the different areas uh, of, of the convention, and then we give them a chance to ask questions. And I think that's a big deal uh, to, just to get them comfortable uh, in that environment. Uh, usually on Wednesday we'll have you know, 200 Two hundred uh, or so with, uh, first-time attendees, and then we'll have another large group on uh, on uh, Thursday morning as well. So uh, it really is a big deal.
1: Well, and there's something for everybody, right? We just had Amanda Duffy on; she's going to be there for the NWSL draft. You got the MLS draft, and you've got college soccer development all over the place, including meetings as well. High school soccer, youth soccer—something for everyone.
5: Oh, no question. And and you know, one of the one of the uh um, big parts of the convention is, is uh are, are the awards programs that we that we provide. Um and uh so many of the attendees uh, want to be a part of that from our uh, our all Americans to our coaches of the year. Um it's uh, you know, and, and and the the different college like the college coaches reception, the uh the high school breakfast, uh Uh, the reception for coaches of women. Uh, So it's really a a big deal to, uh, uh, to try to make them aware of, of everything that the convention provides and then help them, uh, learn to establish a schedule so that they can make the most of uh, this this first-time experience.
1: Ralph Polson, former president of the United Soccer Coaches. The man wears his emotions on his sleeves. He's passionate about the United Soccer Coaches indeed. And if you want to know if you're a first-time attendee, be sure to visit them on Wednesday night or on Thursday morning. They'll set the table for you. Ralph, thanks for all you do.
5: Thank you, Dean.
1: Yes, indeed. Thank you, Ralph. Also, thanks Amanda Duffy from the NWSL Fox Sports Electrope. Lawless and Anson Dorrance, who will be inducted into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy New Year. We'll be back with you next week for another special United Soccer Coaches Convention edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap. For everybody at the United Soccer Coaches, I'm Dean Linke. Thanks for listening.
0: By being a member of the United Soccer Coaches, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find coaches who are passionate about bettering themselves and their players. Go to UnitedSoccerCoaches.org to find out more.